Yeah. Hey, as we get started, I just want to say two things right off the top. First of all, Merry Christmas. It's so good to have you here. The second thing I want to say is the sinners are here. Now, some of you might be a little bit offended right now, so let, let, me, get, let me try again, okay? Hey, two things I want to say, I, and I don't want to offend you, so let me change my wording. Uh, first of all, uh, happy holidays. And second, the sinners are here. And some of you are excited to be here, and you're glad to be here, and you look forward to coming to this every single year, and we're glad you're here. Some of you are not excited to be here. You're here out of obligation, coercion, bribery, blackmail, all kinds of things because of the family members or whoever you're sitting next to. I'm glad you're here. Hang in there. Some of you are here and you're just a little bit anxious because this room has no windows and you don't know what goes on in here and it might be a little bit weird. And so you're not sure. You're sitting close to the exit so that in case things get a little bit crazy, you're out. Some of you are glad to be here. You were glad to be here until my opening comments. <laughs> and now you're horrified. And in your mind, you're saying, I can't believe he said that about them. <laughs> Who said I was talking about them? And now you're outraged because you're saying, I can't believe he said that about me. So if that's you right now, outraged, horrified, let me just say happy birthday. Because we gather to celebrate the birth of the only one who never had any marks in the sin column. And if that's you, happy birthday, Jesus. We're so glad you're here. It is good to have you with us. You know, several months ago, uh, there was a, a lady that, that caught me after the service, after one of our Sunday services, and she said, you know, Pastor, there was something you said today that really, really bothered me. But then the more I started thinking about it, I thought, no, that's, that's kind of neat. And actually, it's kind of awesome. And at that point, I'm, I'm going through my sermon. This was after a service. I'm thinking, what did I say in my sermon that could have been bothersome to her? There are times my mouth goes ahead of my brain. I get that. Times I say things that are a little edgy. I get that. But that day, I mean, I'm scrolling through my sermon thinking, man, I was on my best behavior today. So I'm not sure what it was that was so upset. I said, well... So what in my sermon? She goes, no, 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 it's not something you said in your sermon. It said something you said before the church service started. I said, well, what was that? So, well, you were out on the sidewalk and you were talking to people and you said hi to me and I walked past and after I did, I looked back and you threw out your arms and put your hands in the air and you said, the sinners are here. And I thought that is so rude and so judgmental for a pastor to say that, even if he thought it, to say it out loud in front of people. And then as I sat in the church, I thought, no, that's kind of cool that the pastor is saying, hey, everyone's welcome here. So I like that. And I looked at her and I said, I never said that. And she said, yes, you did. I said, today? She said, yes. Before, out here? Yes. I said, I didn't. I promise you, I did not. I have never said the sinners are here until today. <laughs> okay? I honestly haven't. And she was like, would not be dissuaded otherwise. So I heard you say it. I saw the whole thing. And I'm telling you, I did not say it. And so we just had to agree to disagree. And she left thinking that I was saying this. And it kind of stuck and kind of bothered me. Why, why would she say that, that I said that? And about three days later, it hit me. It became really clear because that morning, my friend Jared came to church with his wife, uh, Carrie, and their three children, Mira and, and Maggie and, and Molly, and they got out of their minivan. This is not unusual. They were, they were coming and walking across the parking lot. Their last name is 
Finner, F-E-N-N-E-R. And as they were coming across the parking lot, I said, the Finners are here. But she heard, the sinners are here. So today, whether you're a Finner or a sinner, you're here. And you know what? If you're a sinner, you're a winner. Let me tell you why. Because if there weren't sinners, there would be no reason to have Christmas. Christmas is for sinners. So welcome, Finners, sinners, and winners. Glad you're here today. Yeah. About a month ago, the uh, Collins English Dictionary released their Word of the Year for 2022. I didn't even know this was a thing, that I suppose if you have a dictionary, you can proclaim a word of the year. There's plenty to choose from in your book, but they had chosen. I mean, why not? I mean, Time Magazine has their person of the year. People Magazine has their sexiest people alive. In fact, I'm thinking about going with the trend. I think we ought to appoint center of the year here at Cornwall Church. We'll give you your special chair. I'm not pointing to you. We'll give, we'll give you a special, <laughs> sorry about that, Dion. I'll give you a special chair. We'll give you a special parking plot, you know, a, a plaque, a t-shirt, whatever. So, so the, uh, the Collins English Dictionary, they came up with a word that would be their word of the year for 2022. And I began to think, so how do they use algorithms of what word was used a lot or Google searches? But the word they came up with, their word for the year for, for 2022 is the word permacrisis. Permacrisis, it's a new word, it's, it's, a, it's a mashup of two words, permanent and crisis, kind of put those things together. And, and this was their word of the year. Now, now I will say this before we go any further. For those of you like myself who are over 55 and enjoying the discounts of senior citizen life and, and on the senior menu at IHOP, all of that, for those of you who are over 55, lived through the 70s and 80s, when you hear the word permacrisis, a different picture comes to your mind. In fact, I have the image that comes to your mind when you think permacrisis. <laughs> Some of you lived through those years. Now, by the way, that's not me. That is Pastor Kip. His mom wanted a little girl, but... That's a perm and that's a crisis. Now, that's not why they chose this as the, the word of the year. The Collins English Dictionary defines permacrisis as this, an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. But then you begin to say, oh, I see why they would say it. I don't know about you. I'm kind of tired of hearing the word unprecedented. From now on, let's just say, well, this was precedented. I mean, this is kind of the way it is. But you think about our year. I mean, the lingering effects of the COVID deal that it's still going, and then the RSV comes in, and flu season comes back for the first time in years, and all this stuff's going on, and, and there's this political division and racial tension and economic inflation and this war that's going on and mass shootings. You begin to understand why they would choose permacrisis. But if you've lived any length of time or if you've ever studied history, you know this isn't relegated just to 2022. This is the human condition. Throughout history, there have always been droughts and wars and famines and oppression and injustice and natural disasters and all kinds of difficulties with things with despot leaders. and all. There's been so much that it's just kind of the human condition, the cultural condition, the world's condition is that of a permacrisis. Quite frankly, for some of you, it's what you feel right now. It's interesting how the holidays have the capacity to magnify feelings. For some of you, there's maybe joy today, a, a new relationship, a new baby in the family, whatever, a new job, and there, it just magnifies that joy. 
But the converse is true. And when there's hardships and difficulties, it, these times of years kind of magnify that as well. And for some of you right now, you may feel like my world feels like a permacrisis. And it might be because of choices you made and there's regret and there's guilt that comes with that. It might be for some loss that you experienced this year, loss of a loved one or loss of health or loss of a marriage or a job or whatever it might be. But you feel like my world is a bit of a permacrisis. It's not exclusive to you, and it's not exclusively 2022. This is the human condition. And 2,700 years ago, the divinely inspired prophet Isaiah wrote about this permacrisis condition. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, he writes, and they will look to the earth, but behold. Now I want you to grab onto that word. Behold means to be perceiving, be seeing, be looking. See this reality. He says, be perceiving this reality. Behold, here it is, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness, permacrisis, and this was 2,700 years ago. So you might begin to ask yourself, well, if this is just the way it's always been, I mean, at least for the last 2,700 years, and it does not seem like it's changing anytime soon, is there any good news at all? And the answer is yes. Because even in the dark permacrisis world, there is a love that is stronger than the hatred in this world. There's a hope that is greater than despair. There's a light that dispels darkness. There's a God who hears the weary cry of someone who's struggling. There's forgiveness to overcome any depth of sin that we have in our life. There are mercies that are still new every single morning. There's grace that is still greater. The cross is still sufficient. The tomb is still empty. And the spirit is still working. And it's all because of the birth of this baby that we celebrate today. See, governments have come and gone, and economies have risen and fallen, and, and cultures and, and, and kingdoms have, have grown and then disappeared. But the kingdom that Jesus came to bring is continuing to grow and spread throughout this world, and his light changes everything. In the dark permacrisis of this world, a light has come, and Isaiah writes about that as well. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 the people who walked in darkness, this permacrisis, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It was this prediction. Six, seven hundred years later, there would be a solution to the permanent crisis. There would be a light that shines in the darkness. And that baby was born. And he grew up and he began to lead some of his followers. And one of the men who walked with him for three years said this about the life of Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the dark has not overcome it. His birth, his life, his light shines even in the permacrisis. There's a reason that for 2,000 years, people around the globe have been gathering to remember and to celebrate his birth because it's the dawning of a new day, of hope in the midst of despair, of light in the midst of darkness. There's an event that happened about 108 years ago that illustrates this. You may have heard this story before. There are many different versions of this story. In fact, some some would say that this story might be completely apocryphal or at least has grown over the years. We don't know all the details, but we do know that an event like this did happen. 
It was in 1914. It was called the Christmas Truce of 1914. I'll back it up and give you some history. In July of that year, in July of 1914, there was some tension mounting in Europe, surrounding nations, and a war broke out. And most people believed that that war would be finished by the end of the year. But it was not. No one had any idea at that point that this war would go on for four plus years and would bring about 19 million casualties, military and civilian casualties. Some would refer to it as the Great War. Some would call it the war to end all wars, which it did not. It was World War I. And five months into this conflict, on the Franco-Belgian border, there was a little village, a little village called Freilinghein. And in this village in Freilinghein, on one side of this battlefront were these trenches, muddy, cold, wet trenches filled with German soldiers. And across no man's land were another set of trenches that were just as muddy and cold and, and, and wet filled with English soldiers. And they began to fight and shoot and try to kill each other in this battle, in this war. But the story goes that on Christmas Eve in 1914, in the German trenches, the German soldiers under the leadership of Captain Friedrich von Sinner, see the Sinners were there too, <laughs> Captain Friedrich von Sinner, the German soldiers that Christmas Eve began to sing Christmas carols. And as the tunes, the melodies, and the words began to make their way across no man's land, the soldiers in the English trenches could not understand the words, but they recognized the tunes. And the story goes that they began to join in and they began to volley back and forth with different Christmas carols on that Christmas Eve. And somewhere in the evening, word from the German trenches, whether it was someone came over or shouted over, word came, tomorrow is Christmas. You know shoot, we know shoot. So December 25th, 1914, that morning, the German soldiers came out of their trench, laid their arms down, and came to no man's land. And the English were a little bit suspect, but eventually they came out as well. And these soldiers who just hours before had been trying to kill each other now began to exchange, and give small gifts, tobacco, chocolate, biscuits, and jam. And they began to, to talk and they began to laugh. And, and then someone produced a football, what, what we would call a soccer ball. And then they began to, to play this game. And it's become actually a quite famous picture of this soccer game that took place on December 25th, 1914, with the Germans and the English. One of the men who was in that, he said it wasn't so much as a, a football match proper, it was more, and this was his word, a messy kickabout. There were 50 English soldiers and 70 German soldiers, and they just began to kick the ball and play together on that day. And you begin to ask yourself, what would it be that would cause Two armies that are trying to kill each other to stop, lay down their arms, come out, share their goods with one another, and play together and laugh together. What would it be? It would be the birth of the one who is the light of the world. The birth of the one who comes as a solution to the permacrisis. I mean, it's a heartwarming story. It really is. This thing is made for a Hallmark movie. It could be their second plot. Sorry. Mom, I'm sorry. Um, and now I've lost my place. I'm about to offend myself. Oh, yes, I know what it was. 
heartwarming story. But it's also a heartbreaking story. Because the very next day, Boxing Day, December 26th, they were back in their trenches shooting at each other and trying to kill one another. At Jesus' birth, the Prince of Peace came not so that we can have a one-day ceasefire, came not just so that we can have a, a little bit of a respite in our permacrisis. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the light of the world, the one who brings life, came to change our reality in the midst of the dark permacrisis world, to bring life and to bring hope and to bring joy and to bring light. So for a few minutes, let's go back to the Christmas story. This narrative that we look at every single year, and as some of you are aware, my favorite characters in the Christmas story are the shepherds. I love the shepherds. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Jesus. First, okay. My next favorite characters in the, in the narrative are the shepherds for various reasons, but part of it is identify with them. I, I, I get that. So, so here's this Christmas story. For the first time, Mary and Joseph, this young couple that's in, engaged, uh, and for them, they're experiencing what was an unplanned pregnancy, and she's nine months pregnant, and the law requires that Joseph has to travel back to his hometown in Nazareth to be registered in the census that's taking place. And my guess is Joseph stayed in Nazareth as long as he could. If she could just have this baby. I don't want to take my pregnant wife on this journey. If she could just have this baby. But it came down to the last minute. I've got to get to Nazareth. I've got to get for the census. And so they go. And from Nazareth to Bethlehem is roughly 80 or 90 miles. That's like from here to uh, Shoreline or Northgate, for those of you who are familiar with the I-5 corridor. The only difference is no I-5 and no cars. So this man, whether they're walking or on a donkey, as all the pictures seem to depict, or in a cart, takes his nine-month pregnant woman with him on a four-day journey. Could not have been easy. However, maybe all that jostling helped bring about this birth on that day. But they get to Nazareth, they get to Bethlehem, and they have this child, this baby, this boy that had been predicted hundreds of years before, completely unbeknownst to them, not in Bethlehem, out in the outskirts, in the, in the fields, in the, in the region. There are some outsiders, literally and figuratively outsiders. Literally, they work outside, they live outside, they are outside. Figuratively, they're not high class, they're not educated, they're not wealthy, they're kind of outcasts. They're not even allowed in the temple. The shepherds, their story, Luke 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, they had been watching over their flocks by day, but this is his night. And I've often wondered, why at night? Maybe the dramatic contrast of the, of the angel at night could have been part of it, I don't know. But they're out there at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, we know this story. We've heard this story. We've read this story. We've sung these things. We've been in the pageants. They had not. They didn't know the Christmas story. They didn't know the Christmas carols. They had never dressed up as shepherds like for a pageant. This had never happened to them. Angels don't show up to shepherds, had never showed up to them, had never showed up to their fathers, had never showed up to their grandfathers. This is an entirely new thing in the middle of the night, unannounced. Here's this angel of all things and the glory of the Lord. Of course, they're afraid. And the angel says to them, fear not for behold. There's our word again. Fear not for behold. Be perceiving. 
Be observing. I want you to see a reality. Remember when Isaiah said, behold, he said, I want you to perceive this reality. It's a very dark reality. It's a permacrisis world that we live in. But now the angel comes and says, I want you to be perceiving a new reality in this permacrisis dark world. For behold, and he says, I bring you good news of great joy. I'm thinking the shepherd's going, hold on there, angel man. Easy on the good news. We're still trying to get past the fear not part. The heart's still pumping, still hyperventilating, still have to change my tunic. This was a freaky thing for me. Just hold on with the good news. Can I just catch my breath and catch up with you? Fear not. I'm trying, trying to behold this good news of great joy. And then he says this line that I love, that will be for all the people. He says this to outsiders. This good news of great joy will be for all the people. Not some of the people. Not just the Jewish people, not the religious people, not the, for all the people. Good news for everybody. Several months ago, I was watching a, a documentary on Netflix, and there was a line in this documentary, I thought, that's like the Christmas story. The documentary is called Aftershock, and it, it chronicles the events that happened after an earthquake in Nepal in 2015. Tragic earthquake, 9,000 people lost their lives. And this documentary kind of weaves three stories together of what was life was like after this initial earthquake. One of them were the climbers on Mount Everest at base camp, camp one, camp two, and the lives that were lost and all this and how they're gonna, what they're going to do from this point on. One of them was set in Kathmandu and specifically a hotel that had collapsed and the owner of the hotel and his family and one of his workers. And the third story was of some hikers that were in a thing up north of Kathmandu called the Langtang Valley. In the Langtang Valley, there was a Langtang village, and the hikers were through three Israelis who were just trekking through the foothills of the Himalayas when this earthquake happened. And the earthquake wiped out this village. And there were still some people alive, including the three Israelis who were hiking. And I won't give you the, the punchline or the, 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 the spoiler alert if you, in case you want to watch it, but one of the Israeli hikers made a, a decision that was very a very poor choice, a blunder, and not a small one, such that it almost set off an international incident. And there was this tension for those who were left alive, and they were stranded. They didn't know how they were going to get out of there, and there were limited supplies and didn't know what was going to happen. And yet here they all were with these three outsiders, these three Israeli hikers, one of which had done something that was unthinkable in their minds. And there was this tension so much so that the Israeli hikers were afraid to sleep at night because they thought they would sneak up and take their lives. It was very, very tense. And in the midst of all this, a big military helicopter came and landed and could have taken some of them out, but didn't, just left some noodles and then left and never said they would be back. So they were feeling very helpless and very, very uh, troubled in, in this crisis they were in. And somehow, one of the Israeli hikers, whether it was a sat phone or something, was able to communicate through uh, the GPS that they were stuck. And so a helicopter came and landed. And he said, when this gentleman got out of the helicopter, he's not carrying a gun. He didn't have a uniform. In fact, he had on a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. And all the people gathered around this man who brought the helicopter in and not sure what was going to happen and all the tension that's mounting in this group of survivors. 
And this man, the, the pilot of the helicopter, he said, my name is Yochai. I'm from Israel. I came to help everybody. And I saw that. I'm like, that's it. And at that point, the tension broke, and there was hope in this crisis. There was, there was help for everybody. And as I was thinking about you, multiply that exponentially more that the angel comes to these outsiders and he says, and there's one who's come. His name is Yeshua, Jesus, salvation. He is here. And it's good news for all the people, not just shepherds, not just Jewish people, not just men, not just women, not just religious, not just good, not just those who are obedient. It's for all the people. And then in verse 11, it says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who's Christ the Lord, a savior, a rescuer. A rescuer is only good news if you need to be rescued. A savior is only good news if you can't save yourself. This savior is really good news for those who live in a dark permacrisis world. This savior is extremely good news for sinners because a sinner cannot save him or herself from their own sins. It's good news. And yet, the way we think about things is because we know ourselves, because we know our shortfallings and our sins and our failures, we think that God's like permaticked. Like he's just angry all the time. Just can't wait to condemn us, can't wait to punish us. And so because of that, we, we keep our distance from God, we avoid him, we run from him. Somehow we've got this in our mind that because of our sins, that somehow we're disqualified from the grace of God. I've got news for you. If you have sin in your life, that's a prerequisite for the grace of God. Some of you are in like, yeah, I got the prerequisites down. Oh, yes, you do. Richard Rohr said this. He said, Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. That God sees us in our world. He sees us in our permacrisis. He sees us in our darkness. And he says, because I love you, I do not want to leave you there. I've come to save you. I've come to help everybody. And John, who walked with Jesus for those three years, he wrote this and he says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, the message of Christmas is that in our dark permacrisis world, in our dark permacrisis lives, Jesus came. Jesus came to say, I love that line out of O Little Town of Bethlehem. Yet in thy dark streets, the permacrisis streets, the darkness, yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The highest hopes of all humanity, of all human history, fulfilled in Jesus. The greatest fears of a world steeped in darkness and permacrisis, dispelled in Jesus, met in him tonight. So, Merry Christmas. The sinners are here, and so is our Savior.
That's the good news for every one of us. I want to ask you a question. This Christmas story that's so familiar, is this just a pleasant story for you? I mean, it is a very pleasant story. It's very inspiring. Like the soccer game in 1914. Like the helicopter in the Langtang Valley. Very inspiring. A feel-good story. I like feel-good stories. It's a great story. Is it just a pleasant story for you? For 2,000 years, billions of people have said this is more than a pleasant story. This is a profound reality. It's a profound truth. It changes everything, and it does. But ultimately, I ask you this. Is it your own personal reality? As long as it's an inspiring, pleasing story that we hear every year, it can be packed away with all the ornaments. And if it's only a profound truth, which it is, it can be in a dusty book of theology and other truths throughout the universe. But Jesus came to change your life, to bring light, to bring hope, to bring forgiveness, grace, mercy, and light. I'm going to invite you to just bow your head right now. and Maybe this is the day when this becomes more than just a nice story, more than just a, a truth but it becomes your reality, and what better day? And if that's what you want, then if you just quietly pray in your heart, it doesn't have to be these words. It's not the words that, it's the posture of your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for coming into our permacrisis darkness to bring hope and healing, forgiveness and life. So Jesus, I want you to be more than a story more than a truth. I want you to be my life, my reality. So I ask that you would forgive my sins. I ask that you would enter into my life. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to me, that I would follow you, walk with you, be led by you, and in whatever I face in this world, would know that I have the light of the world within me. So be my Savior, my Rescuer. Be my Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, best decision you've ever made in your life. But that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning. I mean, it's not just someday when you die. That, that's all part of it. But it's to live in the reality of the light of the world every day. And we want to encourage you in that. In fact, if you prayed that prayer today on your way out, if you would stop at his table in the commons, you can pick up one of these uh, little New Testaments and talk with Pastor Kip. Those of you online, there's a little tab or a little button that says, I committed my life to Jesus. If you did that, we'd love to have you click on that and we can help you out with some resources there. But we would encourage you to walk in the reality of Jesus and get involved with the church. We'd love to have you here at Cornwall Church. But if this is not for you, I get that. Find a church that lifts up the name of Jesus and teaches the word of God and get involved and grow and learn and become who God created you to be and to live in the reality of his light in our darkness. That's the best thing ever. You know, speaking of light, we read these verses in Isaiah 9-2. 
says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, this permacrisis, on them has light shone. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. And we have a tradition here in Cornwall Church in our Christmas Eve services to end lighting candles and singing Silent Night. As you came in, there was a candle on your chair, and I'd invite you to get that. And we'll go to this light, which is the Christ candle, the light of the world, who gives his light to us. And we'll take his light and symbolically give it to each of us. And what I would encourage you to do is if you take your candle and you're passing the flame, if your candle's lit, just keep it held straight up and down. If your candle's unlit, come in from the side. Don't take a lit candle and turn it sideways. But I invite you to stand now and uh, take that candle and we will pass this flame and we will sing this song. And remember the light of the world who changes not only our world, but our lives as well.
see evidence of that every single day. The pain and the suffering, the injustice and the oppression. But I pray that we would have eyes to behold and perceive the new reality of the light of the world, the Son of God, that you have come to bring life and hope, redemption, reconciliation, peace and hope. And I pray that we would live in that reality. And as we live as people of your light, that our world would behold in our lives, that we would be instruments of peace, that we would build bridges, that we would extend grace and forgiveness, that we would offer hope, truth, life. And that the light, the light that came into this world and dwells in us would be returned in this world for the world's sake and for your glory. I pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world. And I love that third verse of that. It talks, Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face the dawn of redeeming grace. I wonder if you just lift your candle and we sing that third verse with just just voices and nothing else. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure. Bethlehem, more than the shepherds, more than Mary herself. We celebrate you, the light of the world, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, wrapped in flesh to save us from our permanent darkness. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Merry Christmas. You're not sinners, you're winners in my book. I love you. Hey, have a great Christmas. Blow your candles out before you put them in the garbage cans in the back. We'd appreciate that. Have a wonderful Christmas celebration. I love you. You're out of here.